Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. The New Testament book of Acts and Acts in chapter number 6. The book of Acts in chapter number 6. As we begin this brand new year, we're placing an emphasis to start off with that we can't do things ourselves. It has to be God. That if it is God's work, God must do his own work. That all we are are people to be used of God. We're just instruments. It has to be God to do his own work. And so as we've put attention this morning, talking about the powerless form found in first, uh, Second. Timothy chapter number three, we now come to the idea of the powerful form of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does it look like? Now we could go through the theology of the Holy Spirit, which is very important, but let's look at a historical person who was filled with God's spirit and see what did it look like? Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Acts chapter number six, the New Testament book of Acts chapter six and notice with me in verse number one, Acts chapter six and verse number one, the Bible says this, and in those days when the number of disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procreus, and <coughs> Nacanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch whom they have set before the apostles and when they had prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great multitude or great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of them Cilicia and of Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. 
Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And they set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark something that we find in the book of Acts in chapter number 6? Acts in chapter number 6, and notice with me if you don't mind, as they are picking out the people who are going to become the deacons, notice in verse number 5, a name to start off with, Stephen, and notice how he is described, a man full of the Holy Ghost. Stephen, a man full of the Holy Ghost. And with this, we're going to see the characteristics of a spirit-filled man. The characteristics of a spirit-filled man. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you tonight, I'm very, very conscious of my own inability I'm very, very conscious that this is such an important message. And left to my own device, my own will, my own power, my own strength, I could ruin this whole thing. Lord, I know that you want to get something amazing accomplished tonight. And I know that it has to be you and you alone to do it. So the best I know how, I surrender myself. I reckon myself dead. I recognize that it has to be you that does the work. The best I know how I surrender myself to you and just ask that you use me however you see fit to get your own work accomplished and that I trust you to get your work done. Lord, thank you even now. Fill me with your presence. Get your own work done and draw these good folks to you that they too can see the power of being filled with your precious spirit. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible gives five specific commandments dealing with the Holy Spirit inside of the New Testament. Five commandments that speak about our instructions concerning the Holy Spirit. If you don't mind, may I quickly list them out for you as we lead into the message. The Bible speaks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it gives us the order of to quench, not the Spirit. The idea of quench is to be able to, uh, to, to diminish, to pull away. <clears throat> the idea is in that passage is that because of an attitude of someone, because of their inability or refusal to get right with God, they can actually hinder what God is doing. And so God gives a commandment. It's not a suggestion, a commandment not to quench God's spirit. And that people could very easily quench God's spirit. Do you know one person who comes in with an attitude that says, I don't care what's going on in here, can quench what God is doing? Someone could come in with bitterness and refuse to get right and they can quench what God is doing. 
Another commandment, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it gives a commandment to grieve not the Spirit. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is a person? And the, this person has emotions? And one of the ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit is by not forgiving someone. That's the context of Ephesians chapter 4. Remember the Holy Spirit has allowed us to have forgiveness of our sins. And when we refuse to forgive someone or an action or forgive a circumstance, we're, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. We're breaking his heart because he has offered us forgiveness and we have done much worse than whatever person has done to you. The Bible gives a commandment in the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 that we are commanded to walk in the spirit. The idea of walking in the spirit carries the idea that we are agreement with the spirit, that we're moving forward with the spirit. We're not just sitting still. The Bible says in Amos 3, 3, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Walking in the spirit carries the idea that we're in agreement with the spirit and that we're in step with the spirit of what God has given to do. The Bible gives a commandment in the book of Jude in verse number 20, that we are to pray in the spirit. Pray in the Spirit. What about this? Well, the Bible says very clearly we don't know how to pray as we ought. And so even when we pray, instead of us trying to fumble through and finding our own words, that we could die to self and let God lead us in the prayer to get accomplished what he is trying to get done. And that we are to even be pray in the Spirit. Then the Bible gives a commandment in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. The Bible gives a commandment for us to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. Once again, this is not something that is done by accident. You don't say, accidentally, I've got filled with the Spirit. It is a purposeful command. It's not a suggestion. It is something that every Christian is supposed to do, is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, in order to be to give understanding, may I kind of explain this being filled with the Spirit? We know that it's the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the Holy Spirit who is God comes to live inside of us. And that we're never going to get any more of the Holy Spirit than we'd get at that moment. The problem is, is that the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of us. And that to be filled with the Spirit, what we're actually saying is a surrendering of ourselves to allow God to have control. To be filled with the Spirit, it starts with an emptying. Imagine I had a cup and it was halfway filled with milk. And if I wanted to fill that cup up with Mountain Dew, I just don't simply take what I have in the cup already and add to it Mountain Dew. It would become a mixture of milk dew. It wouldn't be Mountain Dew. In order to get, have it filled with a different substance, it first must be emptied. In order for us to be filled with God's spirit, we have to empty ourselves. What does it mean to empty of ourselves? It means to empty of ourselves of our goals, our desires, of what we want to get accomplished. To surrender our obedience, to yield our dreams, to give it all to the Lord and allow God to have full access of our life. Every single bit. If there is anything that you refuse to obey God in, you cannot be filled with God's Spirit. If there's anywhere that you will not go, you cannot be filled with God's Spirit. If there's some line that you've drawn in your Christianity, you cannot be filled with God's Spirit. 
You are giving God full access to allow him to do as he sees fit within your life. Well, those are the commandments dealing with the spirit. What does it look like when some person is actually filled with God's spirit? In order to illustrate this, we want to study the life and ministry of a man called Stephen. And Stephen very clearly is listed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look in the book of Acts chapter 6 and 7. And let's look at the life and ministry of Stephen. And by looking at his life, let's see what does it look like when a person is filled with God's Spirit. The first thing I want to point to you is the ministry of a Holy Spirit filled man. The ministry of a Spirit filled man. The first thing in a ministry of a spirit-filled man that we see is that he is a man full of faith. A man full of faith. Now in this context here in Acts chapter 6, the early church of Jerusalem is just now being formed and starting to grow. They've been watching victories. They've been seeing things happen. And people are getting saved every day. And people are being added to the church every day. And the church is starting to explode. And so with so many people and so many people being added and so many things going on, there's going to be some issues that need to be solved and to be taken care of. With this, you have the 12 apostles who have a lot of work on their hand. If you can imagine a pastor trying to pastor a church of 10,000 all by himself, it's not going to go well. Now there were 12 disciples, 12 apostles that were, uh, 11 of them were specifically trained by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're trying to run everything. And what happens is that we can get so busy doing things for God that we fail to spend time with God. And as more and more people are being added, they realize that they need help. They can't do it all themselves. They're getting to the place where so many things need to be done that they're neglecting their own Bible reading. They're neglecting their own prayer life. So they ask for help. So they gather the disciples of the church, the mature spiritual people of the church, and say, look among yourselves Notice what it says, if you don't mind, in verse number two. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report. And notice what the qualifications were to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom that we may appoint to this business. And so as they did that, the people looked among themselves, found someone, and one of the people, just one, they have several of them, but one of the people they found was a man called Stephen. Notice in verse 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, notice the qualification, a man full of faith. Notice in verse 8, it repeats it again, and Stephen full of faith. What is the ministry of a spirit-filled man? First of all, he's a man full of faith. The idea of faith, it carries with it the idea of a trust and belief of God, to take God at his word, to believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. We understand that faith doesn't matter how much we have, but rather the object of our faith that matters. Stephen was a man who had Jesus Christ as the object of his faith, that God was the object of his faith, and he had full confidence in the Lord. 
A man full of faith believes that God can do anything but fail. So when we have God in control, remember the Holy Spirit is God. When someone is full of the Holy Spirit, one of the characteristics is that he believes that God can get it done. That God can get things accomplished. Now we know that we live in a world where everyone has a wet blanket ready to throw it, to put out the fire of anyone. But someone who is full of the Holy Spirit is someone who believes that God can do it. That God can get it done. Someone who's full of the Holy Spirit is not going to be someone who says, well, maybe it could almost get done. Oh, I don't know. Maybe They're confident that God can get his own work accomplished. And that's going to show up. Twice it talks about Stephen, that he was a man full of faith. People recognized that this was a man who believed that God can get it done. When they started talking about what God can do in the church, Stephen was there. I see it. I see it. It can be done. Let's get it done. Let's make it happen. Stephen was someone who was full of faith. There's another characteristic as we see in the ministry of a spirit-filled man. That not only is he a man full of faith, but he is a man full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. Notice with me if you don't mind. In verse number 3 the commandment was for the people to find a man full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. In verse number 5 they found Stephen who was characterized as a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Remember that someone who is full of the Holy Ghost is a man who's dead to self. And a man that's dead to self, those who are spiritual and discerning can tell that this man is dead to self. They can tell that he's not in it for his own glory. He's not in it to get his own will accomplished. He's not in it to try to press his agenda. He is someone who is dead to his desires, his plans. He's dead to self and full of the Holy Ghost. You know, it's very hard to find someone who's dead to self. Because someone who's not dead wants to make it all about them. That's one of the hard things about being filled with the Spirit and why so many people are not filled with the Spirit is because we try to make everything about us. Even when we help people. Yep, I helped those people over there. Look at what I did. We even make helping people about us. Look at how many people I had in my Sunday school class. Look at how many we always seem to make it all about us. That shows that we're full of ourselves and not dead to self. We cannot be filled with the Holy Ghost as long as it's still about us. Think about your work week. Think about the things that you said. Think about the things you think about. And how much of it is all about you? Think about your prayer life. And in your prayer life, how much your prayer life is all about you. Think about the relationships you have with others. Now, I'm doing this as a comparison because that's, that's our default. It's all about us. It's very hard for us to imagine it not to be about us. Because I live here. I interact with the world. I feel everything. I, 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 what I see in the morning, the first thing I, I realize when I wake up is that I exist. And the older you get, you snap, crackle, and pop. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of things to show it's about me. 
But to have someone who is dead to self and it's no longer about them, people notice it. Because it's so abnormal to have someone that's not about them. And they're dead to self. And they're full of the Holy Spirit. They're allowing God to be in control. And they're allowing God to get accomplished whatever he wants to be done. Even if it inconveniences us. Because if we're dead to self, then inconvenience doesn't matter. What does it mean to be dead to self? Well, let's take the literal idea. Let's say that we had a horse in here. And it was dead on the stage. First of all, you'd be wondering how we got it here in the first place. But if this thing was dead... No matter what I did to the horse, it wouldn't respond. I can pet the horse, good horsey, and it wouldn't move. I could elbow drop the horse, and it wouldn't react. To be filled with the Holy Spirit requires us to be dead to self, to both complaints and to compliments. To have someone who is dead to self is someone who, when people complain about, it doesn't bother them. Kind of shows how abstract, because usually complaints bother us quite a bit. Even the idea of compliments. Most of us can't handle compliments well, because we swell up. We think, oh, look how great I am. Look at how We start believing our own press about how great we are, how smart we are, how wonderful we are, how whatever we are. And we can't even handle good things. Because we're not dead to self. But to have someone who's full of the Holy Spirit means that they had to be dead to self. And it is evident. Again, the spiritual people within the church of Jerusalem, it was them, not the disciples, that were to look among themselves and find seven men of honest report who were full of the Holy Spirit. That it was to be evident among spiritually discerning people that person is dead to self. That is a person who it's not about them. That is a person that's dead to compliments and to complaints. That is someone who is yielded to God's control, even if it requires them to do something inconvenient to them. We complain about everything, which is evidence that we're not dead to self. Someone said that in order to be really filled with the spirit, you need to have a funeral for yourself. Imagine the grave marker, stand out there, good wishes, he's gone. He's dead. Never to come back. And if he ever comes back to the grave, you put him back in there. We have a hard time with it because it's all about us. And someone who is dead to self, filled with the spirit, spiritually discerning people will be able to see a man that it's no longer about themselves. It's no longer about how they feel. It's no longer how these things interact with him. It's all about what God would have them do. And what God can get accomplished. It's no longer about them. As we see the ministry of a spirit-filled man, we see it's a man full of faith. A man who could believe that God could do anything. It's a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a man who is dead to self and letting God be in control, yield it to God's control. He's also a man full of the power of God. A man that is full of the power of God. Notice with me in verse number 8. 
And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. When someone is filled with God's spirit, they are also filled with the power of God. That God can get his own work accomplished through that instrument. Maybe I could illustrate it. Let's say we have a glove right here. Now, this glove is a useful tool, but it is powerless by itself. Just lays there. If I go tell it to go change a tire, it can't do anything. Just there. This glove cannot do anything until it is filled with something else that has power. Now it can get something accomplished. This is the idea of being filled with the Spirit, is that we are dead, we're useless, and we recognize it, and that we need something to fill us. And then when God is the one filling us, God has lots of power. God has not run out of power. God has plenty of power to still use and change lives and work. We talked about a powerless form earlier. Why do we have a powerless form? Because we're not yielded and not letting God fill us with his power. That God can get his own work accomplished, not us. It's less dependent on us than what we really think. It is dependent upon God. But when God is in control and God is working, God can do amazing things. God's not done with doing miracles. God's not done changing lives. God's not done doing great and mighty things. Then why aren't we seeing them done all the time? Because we're not letting God be in control. Someone, the ministry of a spirit-filled man is a man full of the power of God. Seeing God do things through that person, that instrument, over and over and over and over. That it's marked. That guy over there is used by God in a mighty way. Without a doubt, God has his hand upon him. Without a doubt... That when that man speaks, God uses him. When that person goes out, God is using him to be filled with the power of God. This is the ministry of a spirit-filled man. He's a man full of faith. He's a man that's full of the Holy Spirit. He's dead to self. It's not about him. It's all about God. It's a man full of the power of God that when he is yielded, God is able to do amazing and mighty things. Because God still has power. Makes us kind of think as we look at those characteristics. Is that true of our lives? Could others clearly say that person's full of faith? They never complain. They're never saying, oh, how horrible things are. Are they people full of faith? Say, well, look at what God can do here and what God can do here. And hey, look, this bad situation. just God could use this bad situation. I'm a person full of faith. Could it be said of us? Is that the characteristic that we have? That we're dead to self? That it no longer bothers us what others do? Could it be the idea that we're filled with the power of God? Watching God work. With this, please turn that off. Whatever's going on, please turn that off. <coughs> With this, we also see the message of a spirit-filled man. 
the message of a spirit-filled man. We saw the ministry of a spirit-filled man and what God can do and what it looks like when he's yielded to God's power. But when someone who is filled with God's spirit, what is his message? What comes out of his lips? What's coming out of what he is saying? What is the message of a spirit-filled man? We see, first of all, that it is a message full of the word of God. It is a message full of the word of God. Notice with me in verse number seven. Acts chapter six and verse seven. And the word of God increased. And the number of disciples were multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. This is in direct uh, connection to these people who were put, who were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And because they were filled with the Spirit of God, that the word of God was increased. Notice with me in verse number 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he, Stephen, spake. So what happened is that as Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that happened is he always spoke about the word of God. And as he spoke about the word of God, the word of God increased. This doesn't mean that more of God's word was being added. It carries with it that more and more people knew about the word of God. Someone who is filled with God's spirit is going to be someone who's full of the scriptures. In fact, it's actually the other way around. You cannot, you cannot be a spirit-filled person if you are not first a scriptural person. And when we talk about being filled with scripture, we're talking about being saturated with the word of God. Most people don't get that saturation. Most people don't have the word of God hiding in them, being permeated in a part of their life. The word of God is at best for most Christians just something we do as a checklist, get it out of the way, now I can start my day. But someone who's filled with the word of God is someone that the word of God is a part of them all throughout the day. They think about the word of God. They meditate on the word of God. That they use their time, their extra brain power when they don't have to concentrate on something to think about the word of God. And as you think about the word of God, it's going to come out. You talk about what's important to you. You talk about what you think about. You talk about what you've been meditating over. It's going to come out. So finally, when these people arose in verse number nine, this whole group of people came for the purpose to dispute with Stephen, to try to argue with him, to try to shut him down, to try to say that his faith was not true. And so as they begin to dispute with Stephen, and again, you can imagine all of these people versus Stephen, they all showed up to try to stop him. What was the response? Verse number 10, and they, all these people that were disputing, were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Someone who's filled with the word of God gives people the word of God. And God's word will do its own work. You know, one of our big problems is that we like to explain the word of God. We like to curry around the word of God. But we don't actually give people the word of God. For example, let's say the gospel. Instead of giving people the gospel, we often try to dance around it and try to bring it and try to make it so that way we don't offend them. If we just actually give them the gospel, it is the power of God. 
The Bible says it will get its own work accomplished. Someone who's filled with God's spirit is someone who believes that God's word can do its own work. That we need to get out of the way and let God's word do its own work. Just give them the word of God. Stop trying to explain it away. Stop trying to paraphrase it. Use your own words. Let God's word do its own work. And when he did that, the people couldn't resist his wisdom. They wanted to try to counteract him, but they was like, it makes sense. There's something to this. No matter what I say, he seems to have an answer. It wasn't because Stephen was intelligent. We're not discounting that. It wasn't about Stephen. God's word would do its own work. Can you trust it? So many times we come up with plans and schemes. Well, if someone says this, this is what we say. Someone says this, this is how I explain this. Just give them the word of God. Someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit believes that God's word would do its own work. Give them the word of God. By the way, you can't give people the word of God if it's not already in you. Which goes back that before you could be a spiritual person, you have to be a scriptural person. You can't be spirit filled if you're not scripture filled. Put it in you. Permeate it. Think about it. Meditate it. Roll it over. Memorize it. And it will come out. God is very good that if you're yielded to God's control, God will give, help you memorize scripture and give you scripture you forgot you memorized. And give you the right scripture for the right time. God will do his own work. We could trust him. The people there cannot combat it. Remember the Bible says in Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. If you want more faith. It comes by the word of God. People wonder why their faith is so weak. It's because they're not in the word of God. But someone who's going to be full of faith is going to be someone who's full of the word of God. That they've let the word of God dwell in them richly. They've put the word of God. They've meditated. They've thought it over. They've taken it and made it a part of their day. And as the word of God increases, so does someone's faith. The word of God cannot be separated from a spirit-filled person. And if a person who is spirit-filled yielded to God's control, the Holy Spirit's going to use all of that scripture that's in them and give it out. And make it so, not that we're trying to win arguments, but remember we talked about the power of God. Imagine talking to someone who's against you and you just give them the word of God. God's word does its own work and all of a sudden they're surrendered to God. How did that happen? Because of your argument of Stigils? Because you're a great keyboard warrior for Facebook? Because God's word will do its own work. And it has power. We just let God do his own work. Stop trying to do it yourself. That's one of our problems. That's one of the reasons we're not dead to self. Is that we're still thinking we can argue people. And discuss people. And explain to people. And we don't let God's word do its own work. Trust him. Not only was his message full of the word of God. But his message was fervent in opposition. His message was fervent in opposition. Now again in verse number 9. All of these people came to him for the purpose of arguing with him. Now when you start getting lots of people. Now one person you could argue against. But when you start getting lots of people. It becomes the idea of survival mentality. And now I want to backtrack. Now I want to try to explain away. 
But the idea here is, is that his message never changed no matter how many people was against him. His message didn't change because of popular opinion. His, <clears throat> his message didn't change no matter what the culture started to turn to. He was going to be consistent no matter what the news channels said. His message was not going to change no matter how many people wanted to try to uh, hook him up if he would just adjust his message. It was fervent in opposition. And finally, in verse number 11, notice this. And they suborned men, which said, what happened is they hired people to purposely lie against Stephen in court. So they bring Stephen to court. They hire people to lie against him on the stand. They stirred up, <laughs> they suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. So what happened is that they arrested Stephen. They put him on trial. They hired people to lie against him. They stirred up the people. If you could imagine in our today thing where uh, Facebook and social media got up and you have a bunch of protesters outside the courtroom. You got protesters inside the courtroom. You got people that are hired. Now you're sitting on the stand looking at all these people that want to kill you. And by the way, it's already changed. They want to kill him. And his message didn't change. His message was fervent in opposition. He was still trusting God. Even to his own detriment. God, you're going to have to get your own work accomplished. Even if it's inconvenient to me, I'm dead to self. Lord, I could trust that even in here, you can get your own work accomplished. By this time, most people would definitely not be filled with self, uh, filled with the spirit. They'd be all worried about what's going to happen to me. But Stephen was so full of faith, so full of the power of God, so full of trusting God that he said, I can trust God to work even here. And I surrendered myself. If God wants to kill me, I'm going to trust that he knows what he's doing. To be filled with God's spirit. And because of this, he didn't change his message. It would be very easy to backtrack. It'd be very easy to say, well, listen here, I'm going to get back at you. You're lying over there. And to try to go against them. But his message never changed. So we talk about the message of a spirit-filled man. It was full of the word of God. The message of a spirit-filled man was fervent in opposition. The message of a spirit-filled man was focused on Christ. Focused on Christ. Notice with me as this continues on in chapter number 7. So he gets put on trial. In chapter number 7, he defends himself and begins to explain. By the way, in chapter 7... All he's doing is giving them scripture, giving them the Bible, telling them what the Bible said. Notice the response of the people and notice his message towards the end. Acts chapter 7 verse 52. Acts chapter 7 verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which have shown before the coming of the just one of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers. You know what the conclusion of, his of this whole message was? It's all about Christ, looking at him. 
Someone who's filled with the Spirit is going to be someone who wants to talk about Jesus all the time. Because that's what's on their heart. That's what they think about. It's what they meditate on. Notice if you don't mind as they actually get to the process of killing him. So they bring him out. They're going to stone him. They're going to kill him. In fact, notice with me in verse 55. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. So as they put him and they're going to kill him, he looks up and he says, I see Jesus. Oh, look, there's Jesus. It's all about him. His message was all about Christ. You know, if someone put you and forced you to work with someone for eight hours, could you go that whole eight hours without speaking about Christ? Is that easy for you? Think about that. His message was all about Christ. That's what he wanted to talk about. What people talk about is what's important to them. People want to talk about their cars. That's all they want to talk about their cars. Some people want to talk about their sports team. Even today, people just want to talk about their sports team. They they have the message. But how many people want to actually get engaged in a conversation outside of church about God, about the Bible? That's not our normal conversation. But someone filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that's what they want to talk about and that's what they see. It's a message filled with Christ A message focused on him. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse, uh, just a gee whiz information, in verse number uh, 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. This is so interesting because of this is that this is the only passage that normally it says Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. In this passage here, Jesus is standing. Is he standing because he's concerned? Is he standing because he's pacing? No, he's standing because he's saying, you're getting ready to come home, I'm going to meet you. Jesus isn't worried about this, but Stephen, even at the end, when he is in the process of being murdered, he's still looking at Jesus. That's what the spirit-filled man looks like. What does it take for your mind to get off Jesus? A stub toe? Scratch on the car? Burnt supper? Crick in the neck? Not enough sleep? Coffee tastes horrible? What does it take for you to stop talking about Jesus? Stop looking at Jesus. It doesn't take much if we would be honest. Not much at all before we're complaining and looking at ourselves again. Stephen's about ready to be murdered. Most of us would definitely be concerned about ourselves. But yet while he is in the process of being murdered, he's still looking at Jesus and still wants to talk about Jesus. Even to a crowd that hates him and hates Jesus. It is easy for us when we think that we're getting around people that don't like Jesus for us to shut up. Some of you haven't had the privilege of going to a bunch of bikers. They're out in the middle of Wisconsin winter, no sleeves on, just a vest on. 
How many would be willing to go say, I want to talk to you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'd rather go talk to the nice looking middle class people with the kids and, and the people all dressed right. Talk to them. Bikers need it too. What about people in the middle of a pride parade? It doesn't take much for us to say, oops, I'm not going to speak about this. I'm going to change my message. I'm not seeing being hard or mean. We've got the greatest message in the world that everyone needs to hear. Jesus loves everyone and people need to hear that Jesus loves even them. But it doesn't take much for us to be silent. Walmart. Well, I don't want to talk about Jesus in Walmart. Those are the people that need it. Filled with the Holy Spirit, we can't help but to talk about Jesus because that's what we're thinking about. That's what's in our mind. That's what the scriptures, it's been working on us. Again, we're just seeing what does it look like for someone who is spirit-filled? That we can see that his message, his message is all about the word of God. His message is fervent in opposition. His message is focused on Christ. It doesn't change. But there's a third thing that we see about Stephen and dealing with what does it look like to be a spirit-filled person, we can see the manner of a spirit-filled man. The manner of a spirit-filled man. How does he carry himself? How does he work? We know that in the gospel record of John, chapter 1 and verse 14, that the description of Jesus Christ is that he was full of grace and he was full of truth. Full of grace and truth. And that if we are going to be filled with God's spirit, we're going to be Christ-like. That if we were spirit-filled, we are also going to be full of grace and full of truth. If you ever need to notice whether you're filled with the, fear, uh, filled with the spirit or not, just see how much grace you have in your life. Or how aggravated you are because of all the annoyances. If you're aggravated, you're not filled with God's spirit. I'm just not being mean. I'm saying here's just a way to tell. If little nuisances bother you, if the people at work bother you, if someone's chewing too loud bothers you, you're not dead to self. You're not filled with God's spirit. When you're thinking about how you want to choke someone, you're not full of grace. When you're not patient with people, you're not full of grace. Now, again, I'm saying things that we can't do ourselves because left to our own devices, we have very little grace. Amen. We have to be dead to self and filled with God's spirit. And it's amazing what grace we have and the graciousness we have with our words and our manner and the way that we live our life when God is in control. Someone filled with God's spirit will also have those qualities of Christ. That truth and grace, grace and truth. We know that he had truth. We see that he was bold in preaching, bold in preaching. Notice with me in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. Again, towards the end of Stephen's message. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so did ye. Now, he's saying this in the middle of a courtroom where people are lying against him and trying to kill him. That's pretty bold. Most people would be looking for a way of escape. How can I ingratiate him? Instead, he doubles down, preaches the Bible and says, listen, you need to get saved. Stop resisting God and get saved. Get right with him. Again, in a big full of courtroom, when you're surrounded and they're going to kill you, that's probably not the idea that you're going to tell them to go get right with God. Or at least not in a gracious way. 
but he was bold, bold. You know, we've lost our boldness. The Bible talks about, as we're just here in the location, Acts chapter 4. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Acts chapter 4. Being filled with the Spirit is still being able to give the message even when you think people don't want to hear it. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Most people are very timid. Think about one of the last times you passed out a track. I know people who knock on doors and pray that people aren't home. So they don't have to talk to them. It's much easier to leave the track and run. People don't have the boldness, but people need to hear the Lord. And being dead to self, filled with God's spirit, allows us to have a boldness that doesn't come naturally to us. To be able to witness to people, to be able to speak to people. They were, he was bold in his preaching because it was the Holy Spirit that gave him that boldness. It wasn't something he worked up. It wasn't something he looked in the mirror and said, all right, you can do this now. He was surrendered to God and allowed God to do his own work. And he's filled with God's spirit. God gave him power and boldness to speak to people that were against the message that he had. Not only was he bold in preaching, but he was graceful under pressure. Graceful under pressure. Notice the wonder of Stephen. Acts chapter 6. As they have set up these false prophets, as they're, uh, the false witnesses, as they're putting up on trial. Look at his face in the middle of a trial. Now, before we look at his face, let's imagine that you're on trial. You got arrested for something you really didn't do and you didn't do anything wrong. And the people are all protesting you, want to kill you. And people have been hired to lie against you. What do you think your face would look like? Think you would be showing some emotions? Do you think that you would be upset? Do you think maybe you'd be in despair? Do you maybe feel like you'd be brokenhearted and helpless? What would your face show? Well, let's look and see what Stevens did. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in Acts chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, verse 13. And they set up false witnesses that said, This man ceases not to blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Verse 14 is a lie. That's a lie. He didn't say any of that. Verse 15, and all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as if it had been a face of an angel. What does that phrase mean, the face of an angel? Did it mean that he's turning into an angel? No. What it's saying is that he has a face full of peace. There's a calmness. Would that be the face that you had? Would that be the manner and the character that you would have that even when people are lying against you, you can have peace and a calmness and a trust that God still knew what he was doing? A lot of us, it doesn't take much for our face to change. One red light, one driver jumping in the way, one stupid coworker who won't do his job, one boss who just has the stupidest commands ever, 
one kid who won't clean up their room, one church person who's late. You know, what does, it doesn't take much for us to lose it for our face. Even if we don't say anything, we just got the fish. Our manner and thing. We, we know people could tell that we're looking for a fight. Or defeated. He, when they looked upon his face in the middle of a trial, as they're lying against him, they all looked at him, see how he's going to respond, to see if he's going to be red-faced, upset. The face of an angel having a peace. Now, this doesn't come because Stephen is some great Christian. It comes because he was dead to self and filled with God's spirit. That while he was filled with God's spirit, he's dead to self. It doesn't matter what they said. It didn't matter what they lied. It wasn't about Stephen. It was still about God. We see the wonder of Stephen, but notice also the witness of Stephen. So as they get upset, Stephen preaches his message, chapter 7. They rush at him. They're now going to kill him. They're now going to murder him. They're done. Chapter 7, verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. This is a Bible expression. They were convicted. They did not like his message. They knew they needed to get right, and they didn't want to get right. So let's get rid of the preachers so we don't have to listen to the message anymore. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he... Being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of the man sitting on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon the Lord, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And as he knelt down, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he fell asleep. What happened is that they got through with the trial. They considered him guilty. They took him outside of the city. Now outside of the city in the ancient world, there would often be a pit. And in this pit, it would be surrounded by a bunch of rocks. They took Stephen, put him in the middle of the pit, and then they surrounded the pit with all these rocks. And so they had a downward strike at him. Couldn't miss. They would take the rocks and begin to throw down at him. The rocks would hit him. And it's not gentle things. He would feel the rock hit his arm and feel his bone break. That rock would hit the side of his head and blood would begin to trickle down. It was a painful experience. They're killing him. They're in the process of murdering him. They're all around him. The pain that he is feeling, the broken bones, the betrayal, the hurt. He's dead to self, filled with God's spirit. And what does he say? Lord, forgive them. Would that be your response? When someone has lied to you in the process of murdering you, Lord, forgive them. You'd be wanting to utter curses. You would only say, God's going to get to you. Fire's going to come down. You're not going to get away with this. You definitely wouldn't want to see him up in heaven with you. Lord, forgive them. Lord, forgive them. 
Someone who's filled with God's spirit. Now remember, someone who's filled with the spirit, it's not about them. Someone who's filled with the spirit can trust God to work even in those circumstances. As Stephen is dying, he's saying, God, don't let this be a waste. I'm trusting you that you can still get your own work accomplished. There happened to be a young man, 30-something years old, by the name of Saul. This Saul is guilty. He's cheering them on. And later on, he's going to be so emboldened, he actually goes to people's houses, drag them out of their houses, and he kills them. He is a murderer. And God saves them. He becomes what we now know as Paul the Apostle. You know he wouldn't have gotten saved if it wasn't for Stephen's prayer. If it wasn't for Stephen being filled with God's spirit, Paul would have never gotten saved. Paul gives a testimony later in Acts chapter 22. We're not going to turn there. But what he says in the middle of his testimony, he says, I never got over it. It kept going in my mind how this guy can die and say, I forgive them. This guy can die and say, I still see Jesus and I want to be pleasing to him. This guy can be murdered and yet he's still full of faith. There was something about him. There was something real about it. And I got saved. I never got over it because of him. You see, God was able to use the death of Stephen still because a man was dead to self and he died well. And now we're still reading about it. 14 books of the New Testament were penned because of Paul. Churches were started. A hundred something churches were started. The influence, all going back to a man who was filled with God's spirit and believed that God can use him even in the hard days, even in the inconvenient times, even when he's being murdered, that God can still get his work accomplished. This is the characteristic of a spirit-filled man. When we die to self and understand what it means to die to self and be filled with God's spirit, we can expect God to do wonderful things as well because it's not about us. More that we try to do God's work, the more we're going to fail. The more that we try to live the Christian life, the more that we're going to fail. We have to die to self, surrender every part of us and let God be in charge. And let God do his own work. And God can do things that we couldn't even imagine to get done. Stephen is an example of what does it look like with someone who's really filled with God's spirit. Dead to self. And has God be in control. Now the one thing we hope out of this is that there's something inside of you that says, I want that. There's something inside of it that says, that's something I currently don't have, but I want that. What is your first step? To die to self. To go and say, God, I surrender everything. If there's something that's not right with God, you need to get it right with God. If there's something that you're not obedient to, you need to get obedient to. If there's any lines that you've drawn, you need to surrender that. And then you yield every bit of it. Lord, I give you my life. I give you my children. I give you my job. I give you my work. I give you my time. I give it all to you. It's all yielded. However you see fit, there's nothing I am holding back. Whatever you want to do, you're allowed to do. To be dead to self, to be filled with him. Now understand that being filled with God's spirit is not a one-time event. I wish it was. Because our flesh still lives. 
But just like getting in the habit of reading your Bible and getting in the habit of praying, you could also get in the habit of being filled with God's spirit. But you learn to die to self, learn to yield yourself completely to God. Stop trying to live the life yourself. When that happens, amazing things will happen. Now, you're not in it for the amazing things. You should be in it because we want to please God. It's all about him. I just want to be used of God. I'm tired of seeing my weak, pathetic attempts and what it could be accomplished. I want what God and God alone can do. God, you take my life. You use me. You do something with it. Lord, I'm tired of just puttering through. I'm tired of just surviving. I want to see something amazing happen. I want you to reach our world, you to reach our people, you to reach my loved ones. Can't be me anymore. I surrender myself to you. Maybe that's where you're at today. This is for mature Christians. I know that. Listen, if you're not reading this, your Bible, this message isn't for you. You need to read your Bible. If you're not being faithful to God, then this message isn't for you. You need to be faithful to God. This message is for those people who are mature, who understand that, Lord, God has something more than what I have to offer. God wants to do something in my life more than what I can get accomplished. This here is a surrender. God, whatever you want, you're allowed to do. There's nothing held back. I surrender myself to you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.